welcome to Culture Matters, my podcast where we dive into the many facets of organizational culture. I'm your host, Subhu Kalpathi. I am a learning leadership and organizational development professional. Understanding organizational culture has become increasingly important in today's rapidly changing world of work. Culture can impact everything from employee engagement to productivity and leadership development. I'm thrilled to have Dr. Colleen Lightbody join us today. Colleen is a highly sought after coach, trainer and speaker and she works with clients spanning the globe. Her areas of expertise cut across neuroscience, mindfulness, brain-based learning, personal and professional coaching and emotional intelligence. Colleen has over 10,000 hours of training and coaching experience, a master's degree in leadership, a postgraduate diploma in neuroleadership and a PhD in mindfulness and leadership. In this conversation, we discuss how coaching can be used as a tool to enable leadership development and drive positive organizational culture. Colleen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure and a great privilege to be here with you. You and I we met many years ago, close to a decade ago now, um and uh, you know, you're the one who taught me what what coaching is, right? So you are the one who trained me to coach um and you're a leadership coach yourself you facilitate you train um you do research um you publish extensively and you've been doing all of this now close to uh, a couple of decades now i suppose um you've given multiple ted talks you've you know uh, and you you also talk on the subject right so um and you bring your expertise yeah and and i love the fact that you bring your expertise around neuroscience and um, mindfulness and blend it with Uh, with your coaching practice um, yes. yeah and and i love the scientific basis uh, that you bring in what i would love to know uh, colleen is you know maybe if you were to back up a little bit and uh, and how did it all start what was the inspiration what got you interested in the field i know it's been it's been quite a journey for you but uh, uh, what got you interested how did this kick off for you maybe i'd love to start there Um well just quickly i guess it's it is quite a, a an interesting story and i was exactly the age that you are now okay. exactly and um i had a turning point in my life which was actually i described in my first ted talk which was discovering that my son was profoundly brain damaged and it was kind of like a wake up a shock for me and i knew that i had to change um my direction of my life and change do you know do something worthwhile particularly to look after my son and he was 5 years old at the time and i started looking around me and i discovered this art of coaching which was really new in those days had only um recently emerged so this was in the early 90s um recently emerged in the united states and happened to get into a program which used neuroscience as a basis for validating the art of coaching and it's a deep and long story but it kind of triggered something in me i found my calling i found my life purpose and so the journey began and that is where i've been like you say close to two decades um practicing as a coach training people in coaching but also developing a subject matter expertise in neuroscience and mindfulness which has really supported my own personal journey as well as my my career and my business as well wonderful thank you for that um colleen um so uh, maybe let's let's begin with uh, coaching as a construct right 
uh, and some mm-hmm. of us who might be listening in it might be the first time that they uh, that they hear about this um, yes. and i know how passionate you are about about coaching as a tool to enable people yes. to enable leaders um so uh, what is coaching according to you if i were to ask you to give a definition of what coaching is uh, what would you say and i think it, it is important to define what is seemingly an obvious construct but in actual fact has got nuances that many people don't understand um people just think coaching is about helping people giving people advice supporting people's development and in actual fact what the pure coaching coaching as an art is the ability to facilitate wisdom in other people and help other people and help people find their own answers and their own solutions to challenges to difficulties and reach their goals through processing the uh, doing different kinds of thinking about how they are approaching goals and challenges so the the nuance there that i really always want to point out is it's not about being an advisor it's not about being a mentor it's not gu- guiding it truly is facilitating the wisdom in somebody else and empowering them mm. to make the changes they need to make to be the best version of themselves basically uh and are there um, and i think you touched upon it um, very briefly uh, are there uh, myths about what what coaching should be or what it ought to be that one should be wary of um what what is coaching not in in your experience so and i think those those myths have emerged because coaching largely as a profession is an unregulated industry globally there are um accrediting bodies like the international coach federation like the european mentoring and coaching council that um that do accredit coach training um and programs but you're not it's not regulated so there's many programs that are out there coaches that are out there that say that they're coaching but in actual fact they using other skills so coaching truly truly is a difficult art to master a difficult skill to master and it's much easier to tell people what to do give i, lo- I get a lot of clients phoning and saying um i need some life advice or some guidance or um or mentorship and those are the myths that have emerged because people are calling what they're doing coaching but in actual fact it's not coaching mm got it and i love the fact that uh, you know you, how succinctly you put it that it's it's helping people find the wisdom in themselves uh, and kind of enabling that uh, for people so that they can find it for themselves i think that's that's very beautifully put um, colin and so mm-hmm. if i can just add to that because i think it's also important to know it's not it's not just having these wonderful conversations getting motivated getting inspired finding the wisdom it's also doing something with that so coaching which which we'll probably talk about when we talk about coaching in an organization is about accountability it is about doing things differently not just having a thinking partner to feel inspired got it so it's it's about action as much as it is about conversation thought and intent right yes. so it's actually going and doing something about it great yeah. thanks for that um colin uh, you know i also want to talk a little bit about the neuroscience of um, of coaching because you um, you've you've op- obviously done a lot of work around it yourself uh, can you talk a little bit about where does neuroscience kind of fit in right is there a um, is there an intersection between uh, coaching and neuroscience and how, where do the two meet just going back to what i said a little bit earlier is that the science of the brain um is a means to validate the art of coaching 
So when we are, when I'm coaching somebody, I'm not teaching them about neuroscience. I'm not telling mm. them how their brains work. I'm not fixing how their brains work. But my understanding of how brains work enable me to ask the kind of questions and provide the kind of support that get people motivated, that help people take action, challenge themselves, shift out of their comfort zones, think differently, recognize their subconscious um, saboteurs, etc. So it's um, neuroscience is, is is generally it's not people call themselves a neuroscience coach or a brain based coach, but in actual fact it's it's you're not coaching the person to uh, to educate them about their brain. You just have the skills, the knowledge, the techniques to use help people use their brains better. If that's not confusing. Yeah, it and uh, I, I think it's interesting the way that you put it. Could you give an example of how this might play out? I mean, just to make this real, um, right? Let's mm. say somebody comes to you with a dilemma, um, mm. right, and they want to be coached on on that particular dilemma. Right? That's where we mm. usually start as, as coaches, um, right? Mm. And uh, and do you use your expertise as somebody who understands neuroscience well, brain based coaching well, into that conversation? How does that play out in real life? Um. So, so yeah, this, let me let me have a think about it. So, for example, a person is challenged by something and there's a certain emotional component to how they're feeling about that. They're feeling immobilized or they're feeling frustrated or even they're feeling inspired, perhaps. And my understanding of um, what motivates people, um, the usefulness of emotions, what emotions actually mean. So let me give you an example. Um, Any negative emotion that a person has, any negative emotion whatsoever, is always a response to some kind of threat. Mm. And the brain goes into action to defend against that threat. So if that threat is you've been fired, or if that threat is you've got a difficult member of your team, or if that threat is I'm bored and disinterested in my job, all of those things are experienced by the brain as discomfort. And therefore, the response to that is um, a defensive response, fighting, flighting, freezing, you've heard of those kind of things. So when I'm touching that person, I'm really aware that their their emotions, their actions are stemming from a, a discomfort. And my job is to help them work through that discomfort, to find solutions for themselves, to shift the neurochemical state in their brain to be one from adrenaline and cortisol, which is anxious and closes thinking down, to facilitate opportunity and dopamine and serotonin so that they can open their thinking up and access more ideas. It's that that kind of understanding of how people are functioning uh, through an understanding of the brain that really supports me to ask the right kinds of questions and to get to the core of what the person needs to shift in order to achieve what they need to achieve. Brilliant. Thank you, uh, Colleen. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to go a little deeper into uh, one point that you made, which is on emotions. I think that in itself is is such a powerful, well, in, at times it's a trigger, other times it's, you know, a positive yeah. nudge for you to do something uh, beneficial for you, uh, for yourself. Yeah. Um, right. So, so therefore, um, you know, in the context of leadership, coaching, or generally in the workplace also, um, what, what roles do emotions play? And why is it that we don't um, you know, go there very often as as leaders yeah. or as professionals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact, very there's many coaches who are taught no, we we got to facilitate positive emotions, and it's only okay if people we don't you know we're not going to get into uh, dark deep problems. But in actual fact, um, emotions are one of the most useful 
experiences that we have in order to motivate behavior, to move forward, okay? Mm -hmm. And all emotions, by the way, positive emotions and negative emotions, okay? So, Subu, can you imagine if I started talking like this? No emotion whatsoever. It would be boring. You would be motivated to listen to me and ask me other questions. So emotions are really important to engage us, to drive us forward. And I mentioned positive and negative emotions. Mm. Because there's no such thing as a bad emotion. Okay, Anger. Is a can be a motivator to action. Sadness can be a motivator to action. It's part of the human experience is feeling emotions. It's what you do with that emotions that is really important. And that's where a coach can come in. Because um it's not to say the client we to our clients we or our, our coaches, we must be emotionless, but it's recognizing, acknowledging the emotions. It's a messenger and what do we need to do with it? Unfortunately, um globally. Um, I've seen it a lot in India as well, is people are scared of emotions. So don't talk emotions. And so we haven't learned how to be present with difficult emotions. We haven't learned how to manage our emotions and leverage our emotions in ways that are constructive. By avoiding them, we suppress them. We become emotionally unintelligent because um, we're not engaging with emotional experiences. We We don't learn the opportunities to leverage emotions effectively so you're getting a long answer from me because i'm very passionate about the subject i'm passionate about as a human face actually engaging with emotions more constructively yeah no that's awesome in fact my mind went back to your first podcast where uh, so your first uh, ted talk where you mentioned that um uh, without emotions you know it uh, i think it was an experiment that you were referring to that without emotions pathologically you're unable to make decisions uh in, in daily life you can't yeah uh, and uh, you know and that that was fascinating for me to hear which is that emotions actually uh, help us engage with the world in a meaningful manner and it's not just something that's happening by the side it's it's very much part of who we are and therefore we need to meet meet emotions head on yes yeah L- learn about them understand them be present with emotions so that we can be more constructive in yeah. in in using them mm. Uh, I, I also want to shift a little bit because I know that you also work uh, a lot in the area of uh, mindfulness. Uh, and again, since we are talking emotions here, um, right? Let's also talk a little bit about mindfulness, uh, Colleen. Which is that uh, again in today's world, we are in the post-COVID era. We've all of us have been through a lot in the last you know two to three years, um, and uh, a lot of us continue to work, uh, let's say, in a remote environment, for example. And there is there is this entire piece around. Uh, you know, drinking out of a digital fire hose, right? You're you're always immersed in, uh, always connected, um, and you're you're supposed to be there all the time. Um, so, in that context, Colleen, it'll be interesting to hear from you. What role does you know being present, being mindful, uh, play uh, in an executive's life? Um, you know, both professionally, personally, uh, and how does how how does that work out for professionals? Hmm. I love your I love your metaphor, drinking out of a digital fire hose. I think that. <laughs> Superb. So maybe I need to to leverage that metaphor to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I, I guess what that that the impression or the vision that comes is just this like onslaught of experience that is overwhelming, and and we get swept away by it. We it's not it's something that controls us as opposed to that we have control over. So I guess mindfulness. You know, yes, people 
it's a popular topic at the moment, just like neuroscience is, yeah. and people talk about mindfulness, meditation, and creating a zen-like experience. But in fact, or I shouldn't say but, and in fact, mindfulness can also aid productivity. It can aid in performance. It can aid in the quality of um, uh, social experiences. It, I mean, it's just endless, the opportunities that being present in our circumstances being in the moment and experiencing them and responding to um, what is happening is incredibly powerful, much more so than being on the end of that digital fire hose where the fire hose is in control. Mm -hmm. So it's just the way that no matter, the fire hose can be there and there can be the onslaught. But if we if we get allow ourselves to get carried by that, we lose presence. We lose the ability to truly see what is happening, experience what is happening and respond to what is happening. So mindfulness, I'm talking quite high level, obviously, if we just look at it as a strategy to be in the present moment, I always say be where your feet are because mostly our head is completely somewhere else. Yeah. So if somebody is, is, is shouting at me or if something is going wrong in, um, in the meeting, if I get caught in the story in my head, I'm getting caught by the fire hose, as opposed to if I'm becoming present, focusing on the present moment, noticing, observing what is occurring, both within myself and within whoever I'm with or whatever the circumstances I'm with, then I have the power to respond rather than just react. I have the power to take a response that is emotionally measured mm. and wise rather than defensive or um, uh, aggressive. Sure. Yeah, and, and you touched upon the connection between emotion and mindfulness there also very briefly towards the end. Uh, but we'll come back to that. What I want to ask um, to you, Colleen, is that, uh, uh, you know, in the way that you define mindfulness, it's not just about meditating or taking deep breaths. Um, and I love that it's about being present in the moment, which means that feeling things around you, looking at things around you, uh, hearing what's coming at you from, you know, from all four corners, um, right? Can you can you talk a little bit about that in terms of how do you become present um, yeah. through that, through that uh, experience, in the way that you describe it? Yeah, so I, I mean, I always describe meditation actually as like a gym training session to develop the neural muscle to be able to be present in the moment. Because it's all very well say be present in the moment. But mm -hmm. if you haven't developed the skill to be able to do that, like if you haven't developed the skill to hit a good forehand or backhand in tennis, you're not suddenly going to be doing able to do it in the match. So we need to so so meditation is a means to practice being present, um, being in the present moment, um, focusing on my breath, doing a body scan, noticing what's in nature around me. There's, I mean, there's many, many different ways to actually practice mindfulness. Okay, the, the practice itself has huge benefits in dropping cortisol levels. Um, but most of all, what I'm doing, and I always talk about this in my talk because I just think this is such a superpower that we have that we ignore, is mostly what we're doing when we are training ourselves to be present, is we're training ourselves to use a part of our brain Okay, it's right here on your uh, left and right temple called mm -hmm. the ventrolateral prefrontal cortex. And that is the part of the brain to do with self-control. So I think now threading that back to being present in a meeting and how can you leverage that, it's about being in control, quite frankly, so that you can respond. Um, most of what happens is that when there's any kind of negative situation or difficult circumstance, we get caught into the story about that circumstance. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas mindfulness allows us to not get caught in the story, but respond to what is happening, not um, contaminated by our own fears or anxieties or perceptions, if that makes sense. Sure. And I think um, going back to the point of emotions, right? I think mindfulness also allows you to be more in touch with with what you're feeling in that moment. Uh, and therefore, yeah. to your point that it, it also helps you to respond uh, more effectively to whatever is happening around you because you're you're more in touch with what you're feeling and not just what you're thinking and just not just in your mind, but you're you're able to get more out of the the present moment, I suppose. Absolutely. And I mean, that's pure and simply emotional intelligence is understanding my emotions and managing them, understanding other people's emotions and managing them. Now, if I can't be with my emotion and we go, we we have a we try to deny it and we try to avoid it and we try to not let it happen. But guess what? It's going to happen. We have experiences that make us sad, experiences that make us angry, experiences yeah. make make us jealous or frustrated or bitter, some more than others. I experience huge emotions. Um, it's going to happen. And if we don't have a means to be able to label that emotion, to be present with that emotion, then we don't have the means to use that emotion for, um, for a, a constructive purpose. Yep, Ignoring it disempowers us completely. Coming back to coaching. So, um, you know, in, in an organizational context, right, in a leadership context, um, yes. again, you've been doing this for so long. Um, yes. Why is why is coaching such an important tool uh, for leaders? And why is it that they need to be, uh, you know, picking this up as, as, a, as a tool for themselves to be able yes. to work better with the people? What's, what's your perspective there? Yeah, no. So, I mean, I I say that the word leadership is completely synonymous with the word coaching, mm -hmm. that you could actually solve. Because what is coaching? Coaching is empowering other people. What is a leader supposed to do? They're supposed to empower people to do better thinking, take more constructive action and progress, move forward, be successful, uh, perform effectively. That is what a leader is supposed to do. A manager manages, okay? A, a manager gets stuck in, has the expertise, does the work, the mentor gives the advice. But, uh, you know, I always say the leader of the organization is not the one sitting there doing the work, okay? He or she is playing golf and has inspired, other, empowered other people to do the work. Mm. So that is what a coach does. A coach, if I'm sitting in a conversation with a senior executive, my job is not to be the wise one to give him advice, give him feedback or um, make suggestions. My role is to sit with that person and help that person see what they possibly haven't seen, to challenge them and stretch them to goals and opportunities that they might not have thought of on their own. So that's, for me, that's why the word leadership and coaching are completely synonymous. And it is becoming more popular. It is a difficult skill to master. I know I've said that before. And so therefore, a lot of people think that they're coaching. If I go into, if when I start any coach training program for executives or leaders, and I, the first thing I do is I get them into pairs, I get them coaching each other, and then I ask, what are the strategies that you use? I make, it's, it's quite a dramatic and impactful demonstration. I write down a list of all the strategies they use to help the other person in that conversation. And then I take a red pen and we just go, not coaching, not brain friendly, not coaching, not brain friendly, not leadership, because people, really don't understand what coaching actually is and the power of coaching. Um, it's also a, like leaders are often promoted to their position through 
um, experience, qualifications, competence, or whatever. But in actual fact, they don't have the experience in leading people. They don't have the understanding of people. And that's why I love bringing – I do bring psychology as as well um, right. into my coach training programs. You've got to understand people. And then, of course, from a neuroscience perspective, understand how people's brains work so you can get people to use their brains more effectively. So in some ways, I often joke with my leaders, this is your social psychology, neuroscience, human psychology 101 uh, tapped onto the art of actually empowering people and getting people um, yeah, to, to do things better. Yeah. And it's also daunting as a leader, right? Because the leader has come to where he or she is. Uh, because the expertise that that they've brought to the table for so many years and suddenly uh, they are at this position where they are required to now understand their people deeply to understand the brain biology how it functions uh, and then work with their people and and that that calls for a shift in the way that you that you work all of a sudden have you seen um, you know uh, have you seen leaders in the way that they approach some of this is is it uh, i'm sure there's a spectrum some of them pick it up yes. some of them take a long time yes. um, right yes. so uh, any insights in terms of um, you know how leaders pick this up and uh, from your experience of working with them? Um, I, I, it's it's a it's can often be a profound paradigm shift um, to start with, and almost the shock of that paradigm shift really humbles leaders and allows them to open their perspectives that there's possibly other ways to um, to lead, to manage people, to inspire people, motivate people, etc. So. Um, so for me, in my experience, in any leadership uh, coach training course, that just that paradigm shift itself is actually a critical part to understand that there is another way to have these kinds of conversations yeah. um, and to motivate people. Um, and yes, be, because it's it, our default of our brain is to tell people what to do. We love it. We love telling people what to do. We love our own ideas. We think everybody thinks like we do, or if they don't, they should. So we're so wrapped up in our own brains that it is automatic default, and that is what we, when we do a two-day or a three-day or a four-day program for leaders, they're wrestling against that urge, that instinct constantly. Um, but I find people generally are thrilled by it and excited by it because it is so challenging and because it's such a different way to have engaged, um, to have conversations. Um, from a sustainability perspective, I think if you're going to try change your uh, coaching culture, if you're going to want your leaders to take on a coaching style of leadership, um, there's got to be things in place to sustain it because it's very easy to go back to our metaphor, firefighting. Really easy to do that. It's automatic. This takes consciousness. It takes intentionality, which, by the way, both of those concepts are about being mindful, being intentional about how you're going to be in this next meeting. What kind of conversation are you going to have with when you're giving feedback to your direct reports? Um, being intentional about it and consciously in that moment, not giving into your default state of telling people what to do. We default to negative. Um, it's it's about rising above those automatic ways of engaging with people. So we need you need to have some kind of sustainability measures in place if you're wanting to change um, people's style of leadership. Got it. Um, and uh, and talk to us a little bit about these sustainability measures that you're referring to, Colleen. How do organizations um, make this uh, a going function? You you touched briefly about culture, um, right? So how does how does this become a part of um, you know how an organization operates and if you have um you know yeah. any examples from your work that you might have seen with leaders do this well 
Okay, great. Well, culture matters, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... I think there's so many ways that it can be embedded. In my experience, and I'm just talking off the top of my head here, it often takes a champion within an organization. Mm-hmm. And it's often somebody like you who's been on a coach training course or um, at sometimes HR, sometimes senior leadership. But generally, you, it, it's it's difficult to create that culture change. So we need somebody who truly believes in it and want, or a few people who truly believe in it and want to move it forward. Um, so there's many, many ways that I'll just give some examples of the kind of interventions I've, I've done and and how we've played it out. So, for example, um, a leader is coach type training where all you're doing is it's not, not all you're doing. That's kind of undermines it. But where what you are doing is training leaders in coaching skills, coaching methodologies, perhaps with a little bit of neuroscience, if that's your style of coaching, NLP, there's many different styles. So understanding how I can lead better using coaching conversations. Hmm. The next step up, which I've seen a lot of organizations do, because often they get very inspired by the by the skills and, and the, the methodology. Yep. The next step up is to actually engage people in the organization, whether it's HR, whether it's a leadership team. Often it's a leadership team, by the way, which is quite interesting. I, I'm a great fan of, um, you know, uh, being an example from the top, mm. um, taking a group of people and training them as professional coaches. Now, there's a lot more practice, a lot more mentoring that takes place, a lot more, um, you know, considered requirements for the person to actually become a professional coach. So it gets people to commit to that mm. new skill, develop the the mastery in that skill. It takes hours of, of practice. So I often get a group of people who then become so-called professional coaches, they can accredit as well, professional coaches within the organizations. And often what the organization does is get each of those people who've now accredited to um, take one or two or three people in the organization and take them through a coaching process. So what you're building is you're building in-house capacity, firstly, because coaching, external coaching is hugely expensive. Hmm. You're building internal capacity plus the person who's been taught the coaching skill is now practicing the coaching skill mm-hmm. with accountability structures. Okay. Um, tracking, I think, is very important if you do that, if you're bringing coaching in as a as a practice. It's harder to it's harder to track when you've just learned a skill as opposed to when you're setting goals with a person and you can get uh, measurable outcomes that can be tracked objectively. Um, but when you're tracking skills, like a leadership's been on a leadership coaching course then perhaps you, you need things like performance assessments, um, getting feedback, um, engagement surveys, that kind of yep. thing, for you to measure that. Um, creating coaching circles in organizations where we meet once a week to coach each other, to embed the skills mm. or part- coaching partnerships, um, having internal or external coaches for uh, high potentials for new hires for exit coaches is a big thing that I'm seeing at the moment because co- companies are downsizing and as a support for the staff that are are being retrenched giving them exit coaches so there's many it's a, and it's also about identifying coaching opportunities within the organization so every fit performance review is an opportunity for coaching yeah uh, you know as opposed to a performance review which is usually a, a more telling style of feedback. So, yeah, I mean, it's I could go on for hours about the opportunities, but what we need is open our mind yeah. that if we're going to change a culture, the more ways that we do it and the more shifts that we make, 
um, the more likely it is, um, you know, to be embedded. Thank you, Colleen. Uh, uh, you know, uh, my again, my mind goes back to the the coaching workshop that uh, that you facilitated for us many years ago that I was a part of, um, right? And uh, and one of the things that happened, and which you've already alluded to in this conversation, is that um, you know it's 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 so difficult to start uh, asserting and start asking uh, and just doing that. Just that little step is is so empowering. Uh, of course, for the leader, but also for the other person, and therefore it kind of strengthens the relationship. Um, yes. And uh, and you know, it's not it's not just about asking any question, but it's about asking some pointed questions that help you become a better coach, um, right? And um, I'm just thinking if if leaders do this at scale uh, within an organization, what what does that do to the culture, uh, right? So I'm just thinking out loud here. Um, so what do you think it might do? I'm just thinking maybe it, it makes uh, humility a big part of you know who we are as a people because we don't just go about telling people what to do. Um, we also bring them into the fold and ask them um, you know how how would they go about accomplishing their tasks yeah. or goals or uh, you know in the context of performance reviews, for instance. Um, yeah. that, that's that's a great way to do it. So I, I was just riffing off of all that you've said so far um, in terms of how it might empower people, how it might empower leaders, uh, and also down the line, right? Uh, any further comments on that, uh, Colleen? Well, I think picking up on one of the points that you make is that I, I say that coaching is the ultimate relationship-building skill that you have um, because there, there's nothing more exciting and liberating than when somebody is truly interested in you. When somebody truly in you and gives you opportunities to think, to challenge and stretch yourself, to come up with solutions, and holds you accountable to becoming, I know this is like terminology, the best version of yourself. Um, it's a beautiful experience. And guess what? It doesn't happen very often. I can promise you, if you have any challenge today, whether it's I couldn't get to lunch until four o'clock in the afternoon, or whether it's I had a difficult person in my team that was challenging me, I guarantee whoever you go and tell about that difficult situation is immediately going to give you either their experience or they're going to tell you what to do. Yeah. So it's 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 a remarkable, it's it's a beautiful thing when somebody says, and so tell me, Subu, what are some of your ideas? What do you think you could have done differently? What do you think that person was really looking for that you didn't maybe recognize? How could you um, be the best leader you could be in managing that circumstance? If like I'm thinking of the lunch one. Um, what do you need to do differently tomorrow to make sure that you don't only eat lunch by four o'clock? You know, mm. is there some are there some boundaries you need to put in place? Can you see the difference in having that kind of conversation versus me go me saying to you, well, Sue, why don't you just pack a lunch lunch tin and put it on your desk? It's not getting you, it's not hearing you, it's and it's not um being present with you and your experience. So people who coach their staff, um, there's a lot of anxiety often with leaders going, but I won't be needed anymore. You know, it's yeah. like you said, that humility, like, am I not going to be important? People who have leaders who coach um, uh, re share that those people are the people that inspire them the most. Those are the people that they remember forever in actual fact. So as a, as a relationship, a communication skill, I always say, this is your um, how to win friends and influence people 101 because <laughs> it really is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's not just about, um, you know, coaching leaders. It's, it's developing leaders to become coaches. I think that's the point, really. That's yes. that's the big takeaway here, um, right? So and and how do you do that so that your, your leaders really value that? 
uh, and also coach people down the line so that you know it, it becomes um that becomes kind of embedded within the organization in the way that leadership functions um one other question that i have for you colleen is that um again in your experience um leadership coaching you know coaching has always been the purview of executive leadership and senior leadership for for a long time um have you seen that changing have you seen uh, a lot more managers uh, you know middle managers and also first time managers kind of really embracing this concept and and uh, taking it head on um have you seen any shifts happen in the last uh, uh, many years in in the in the time that you've been working in this area and i think what you're talking about is not training people to be coaches you're talking about people who are being coached either yeah. by internals or external coaches yeah. i definitely think it's a shift I think there's uh, for for to for a large extent it was kind of a, a privilege for only senior executives to have mm-hmm. the sounding board of a coach, which is actually the wrong perception of what coaching is anyway. Um, but what people are realizing is that um, it is an opportunity to enable and empower a person to do better, to function better, and it has an impact on the bottom line all the way down through the company. It's not just a lovely. Uh, privilege to have a, a good coaching conversation. It has impact. So definitely, and then there's a, it was also at one stage very much perceived as being remedial. You know, that person's got a problem, so therefore we need to fix them. And I think it's it's important that we really emphasize that far from being remedial. I mean, mm. I have coach, coaches that have been sent to me. I had one particular guy who was about to be fired from his job. He worked for um, a bank um in the United States, and he was about to be fired. So they sent him to me to so-called fix him. But in actual fact, we had such an inspiring um, experience that he actually ended up being promoted a couple of levels higher. Wow. And it wasn't about fixing what was broken. It was enabling what was possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, since you've also taught me the art, I've had the opportunity also to coach uh, a couple of people uh, because you mentioned this particular case i also remember uh, i was uh, you know i was asked to coach this person who was supposed to be the problem child of the uh, of the team uh, but then all i had to do was listen right and uh, and and kind of guide him through the conversation to really find out um, you know what what was uh, what was it that he really wanted and therefore that really um, kind of changed his life he uh, he actually quit the organization in this case just the opposite of what happened in your case yes. he actually quit the organization eventually um and then he's he's a very successful entrepreneur now he has his own um setup so it, i think it also helps you find yourself uh, if you go deep enough i suppose uh, in terms yeah. of who you are and 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 what really matters to you and what i love about i can hear in your voice i can see in your face that how it lights up when you remember this opportunity to to transform create transformation for this person yeah. that's the beauty of coaching is that you as a coach it's like a gift that I give myself every day because I see and I'm a part of that person's upliftment it's very, it's, a, it's a great privilege to be in it's this a, profession it's a gift yes absolutely <laughs> great so um on that note uh, Colleen and that's a happy note for us to end this conversation I think we've covered a lot of ground um thank you so much for for being on this podcast Colleen with me it's it's an absolute pleasure to meet you again after all these years is an opportunity to listen to you and once again revive all those sweet memories that i have from our workshop many years ago uh, and thank you for for being here uh, Colleen thank you what a privilege it is to and to also hear how you are loving and embracing the coaching journey going forward then that is purpose to me being there to train train yeah. you from the thank you
what i loved about this conversation with colleen is the fact that coaching calls for a paradigm shift in the way that we lead our people great leadership is indeed synonymous with coaching being in tune with our emotions and being present in the moment are skills that leaders can master and this reflects in the way that we show up for our people a knock on effect is that this behavior reflects in our culture a culture of coaching leads to humility strong relationships and a truly empowered workforce until next time i hope this episode helps you build a coaching culture by role modeling behaviors such as listening asking the right kind of questions inspiring and guiding your people to action